Hey, welcome everyone. We have a very special guest today on our show, the uh, real side of tech and operations. We've got Kevin Decker here today. Uh, it's uh, Weston Spencer as well. And we are here to uh, discuss operational change via technology and how challenging that is. And um, we've got uh, a lot of insights to, to share on that, not from necessarily Weston I's perspective, but we're going to dig into that with Kevin. Um, like process and technology are two things that people try and um, figure out in the industry right now. And it, it is uh, lagging, uh, probably because both are very hard. And when you try and do both at the same time, it is, uh, you know, impossible. So uh, what I'd like to do first is, Kevin, let's talk a little bit about your background. I did uh, um, creep on you a little bit on LinkedIn. And what I found is you have 22 years in your Chesapeake background that says various. Uh a lot of jobs you might have done there. I don't know if that was just the school hard knocks you did for 22 years yeah. and then you did eight years of management. But, you know, why don't you tell us about uh, who, who you are, what you've been doing, what are you passionate about? Okay. Uh, and then, you know, why, why should we, you know, listen to you, the, 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 the listeners for, you know, operational change via technology? Let's 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 hear it from you. Yeah, I don't know if you should be listening to me, but uh, <laughs> uh, my wife certainly didn't. But as far as my background, I started out as a CPA, actually, uh, wow. coming out of school. There was 10 or 11 employees at Chesapeake at the time. And I spent about 10 or 11 employees at Chesapeake. Yeah, yeah. And, so uh, that is incredible. Like, yeah, it's a it was three a, or four thousand com person company now. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and that's you know we hit at one point thirteen thousand folks when we were and that included some big some large service companies of six or seven thousand, but a lot of fun, uh, great company. Cut right out of college, just my first job, um, and just had a blast, kind of doing a little bit of everything. I mean, I was a, a, a an errand runner. Uh, I I did all kinds of fun things back then because you never knew what was going to happen from day to day, and we worked all the time. But I, I think. Real early on, I realized I was not cut out to be an accountant. Uh, I kind of grew up a little bit, spent a lot of my time uh, in out on some land that we grew up on. And so I enjoyed dealing with people out in the field even back then. Mm -hmm. um, so it, I, I just kind of slowly began to figure out I need to spend more time out in the field. And I started out working some accounting groups out in Lindsay, Oklahoma and, and uh, College Station, Texas. Nice. As I met the foreman, I met the superintendents, and I met those guys. Uh, absolutely loved it, and so decided I wanted to move on and and uh, spend more time on the production. And within uh, two or three years, we had some service companies I worked for, and then moved my way into production and never looked back. That was what I did the mm -hmm. rest of my time. And we just real, uh, I'm kind of a process nut, and we decided anytime we were doing something, how were we going to make it easier for the field guys? Yes, um, what a great. Thing to do, my yeah. goodness, and that's that's essentially what we did. We started with an Excel spreadsheet, and then we moved to software, probably in the mid '90s, um, to make it easier. But really, you tell me they had Excel in the '80s. What's that? You telling me they had Excel back in the '80s? No, back in the '90s though. They oh did. man, and it was Lotus before that, I think. But uh, yeah, late '90s, we we were Crazy. basically putting uh, just well by well putting their data in, you yeah. know, tubing casing that kind of stuff, um, downtime. And slowly just began to figure out ways to do do things a little bit easier. And we built some dashboards in the early 2000s and and something that each person had a process, part of the process, whether they were a field production assistant or a, a, a lease operator or whatever. They could look at their data. They could look at their lease operating statement. They could look at whatever. So um, we built that pretty early. And then we just began to try to make it everything more efficient. And then we went through the early 2000s when we brought in over about a 10 year period, 135 acquisitions. And so we got really good at process because we had to, uh, we couldn't grow the company uh, people wise, you know, every time we had an acquisition, so we had to make it more efficient. And so that's how we kind of got to doing, uh, we just had a, a cookie cutter concept that we just repeated over and over every time we had a new acquisition. So that's how it started. And then over the last, well, I'd say seven, eight years, we really started getting into the analytics side of it and mm -hmm. trying to, to really help the field guys by uh, allowing them not to have to go to the well every day. Those kind of things, you know, you hear the terms off by exception or whatever, sure. but to me, it's just efficiency. So that's what, that was my background. That's how I got there and just spent 
again, a lot of time either in service companies or on the production side of the business and loved it. And most of all, I just love the people. And that's my consulting company now. Uh, it's been a little over two years. That's where I spend most of my time, if I can, is right out there with those guys and listening to them. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's a big part of, of, you know, building tech today is just listening to people and figuring out what the real problems are. You had a, a, a post out on LinkedIn about a week ago, I think, or two weeks ago. What, that's exactly what you were talking about. We burden them with our mm-hmm. tech instead of trying to figure out how to do things easier. And so that's really all we try to do. Love it, man. What an intro. Awesome. I'm so glad you're on this podcast. You're the perfect person to be talking to. So what a man, just so happy. I, I, this is for anyone listening. This is my first time to meet uh, Kevin Wesson. Kevin have been talking for um, quite a bit of time and uh, they've been, um, yeah, touching base. And uh, he's spoken so highly, Kevin, and I can see why the experience is vast. So pretty stoked to dig into this. And, you know, I, I do want to uh, stick to a few questions, but just off your background, Mm-hmm. One thing that came to mind for me was like, when did it become like, wow, this is really helpful. This is really useful. Like when you went from like spreadsheets, like that was, that must've been so useful to have that type of information. Yeah. And then when it went to like simple analytics, like what was the crossover point? Like where the operators felt like this is really useful. You're helping me do my day uh-huh. work extremely efficiently to like, yeah, this is starting to get a little bit inefficient because I'm doing X. What was that breaking point? What caused it? Uh, well, I think it probably happened across that spectrum from the very beginning because we had people at that time. So you're talking mid to late 90s is when we really started trying to make the route more efficient. And we had some guys that had, had grown up, you know, grown up with flip phones, excuse me, flip phones. They mm-hmm. understood a little bit of technology. Laptops were kind of beginning to start coming around. Um, and so they were really, some of the younger guys were really excited about it, um, it, jumping in and doing something different. Some of the folks that had been around for 30 or 40 years. They just weren't that interested into it. And we didn't have smartphones yet. So it was a part of everybody's every day. And so I would say at each stage, every time we tried to push and do something different or something mm-hmm. new, that was really kind of the problem that we dealt with is how are we going to, you know, a lot of people say change management. It's Mm -hmm. just listening to people and figuring Mm -hmm. out this guy, there is nothing you're going to do to convince him unless he trusts you. And so Mm -hmm. it's just trying to figure out what is it that is going to make him trust that we're going to try to get this right. Yeah. Um, And so early on, what we did was, I mean, I remember when we first developed our own, uh, we called it a pumper data input, but essentially it was a field data capture tool. Mm-hmm. And it was, we built one that was looked like an Excel because by that time, some of the, the more experienced pumpers were getting comfortable with Excel. So we built a version that looks just like Excel. Yeah. And then it, there was also, if you wanted, if you came from a uh, Merrick or a something like that, and you wanted to, to look at that view, well, you'd have a screen for each little uh, piece of equipment. So it was just listening and seeing what they wanted and trying to create something like that. But we were always, even though we built a lot internally, we were always trying to figure out how do we get out of the internal IT business and teach other companies that are coming in that do that better than we do what we're doing so they can kind of get ahead of us. And maybe eventually we can replace those systems with something that's more sustainable um, and that they can use maybe to go out and help uh, other companies. So. Yeah, I think there's, there's one thing that I want to touch on. I think the trust part uh, with the field has always been tough uh, because, you know, from what I've seen, right, especially if you have uh, technology encroaching down, being pushed down from a top level, and, and it very much equates to how is technology introduced? Let's just talk about that, you know, how technology is introduced into the organization. What's the intent of that technology? How is that clear to everybody? I feel a lot of times there's a lot of distrust uh, within the field because it quickly <laughs> changes into, well, this is going to replace my job, right? That, that is almost the first thought. So I'd love it to is. hear your, your thoughts on that, Kevin, on how that has, um, you know, mitigated change, how that is mitigated or, you know, how, how, how have you mitigated that in the past and how yeah. has that blocked change or how has that been addressed from an organizational standpoint with implementing different technology? Yeah, yeah I question. can address that specific question, um, but I usually get two questions. One of them is, is this going to replace me? And the other is, I don't really want to invest in this because this is the fifth version of this type of mm-hmm. software we've had in the last eight yeah. years. 
Yeah. Major. And they get frustrated. They're really yeah. frustrated. I mean, I will say in the last two years, I've seen what I keep calling field PTSD. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not, I mean, tears. I mean, conversations where people are breaking down because their marriages have broken up or their families are going through crisis. And this is just one more thing. And they are overwhelmed. Gets, they are overwhelmed. Thing. Yeah. Crazy. Absolutely. And so just listening out there and hearing that, um, what I, my approach all the time is, do you, do you believe in your company? And I would guess that you do, or you wouldn't be here. And if you do believe in your company, then this is a fantastic market to be in and to be a pumper in and to be a, you know, either a lease operator or, or <clears throat> optimization guy or whatever it is you are. Mm-hmm. It's a fantastic market to be in. And so this is not to, to basically take your job. In my mind, if you guys are as good as, as I think you believe you are, then all you're doing is scaling up the number of wells that you can manage yeah. uh, efficiently and, and do more than just put numbers in every day. That's mm-hmm. not really your job, yeah. Uh, yeah. depending on the role, depending on the company. But really, your job is not just to be a, uh, you know, to go around, drive your route every day. Your, your job mm-hmm. is really to help those wells produce better. And it's the best job in the world because you can increase your margin two ways. You increase your margin by increasing production and reducing costs. There's mm-hmm. not very many parts in an oil and gas company you get to get both of those. And you not guys do. And the other thing that I tell them as you're going through that process is you are the key people to me to really make change within this company. Because you, if you're not happy with something, people listen. Now, they may not initially, but if you, if you can express kind of your feelings and thoughts about what you're going through. People care because they can't afford to lose you. It's hard to find good people out there right now. Mm -hmm, And so uh, we, and you're the best person to me because you know, when I love talking to those guys because they know if HR is poor, they know if the systems (laughs) are poor, they know if accounting is poor, the processes are poor. They know every single piece of the company filters down to the guy at the cash register, which is that pumper. Yep, and yep. if you don't take care of him, um, you're not you're not maximizing value both from the cost and the value and the production standpoint. Mm-hmm. And but then there's that piece. But there's that other big piece is they can tell you where your holes in every other system are, because every one of those things takes time away from their family because they have to their route lasts a little bit longer that day or in the winter. They didn't do what they needed to do to the wells because they were too busy trying to just get their numbers in. You know, those kind of things, uh, it really does impact their lives. So if you take care of them, mm-hmm. you're going to get a lot of great feedback in exchange for taking care of them. And I just, that's the way I approach it. And from the, to answer your original question, I think if you take care of those people in that way, you're going to acquire more wells and their well count's going to go up, but their job efficiency hopefully will go up as well. Mm-hmm. And the amount of time it takes to do some of those things will go down and they can use that extra time however they need to use it. Yeah. Starts with listening. It's all right. about listening. It's. I mean, I feel more like a psychologist sometimes. I have me. no experience in psychology, but I'm pretty good at shutting my mouth and just listening to people. And I take a lot of notes, and that's to me the key. And then pushing that stuff, you know, into an actionable plan, and and calling people back. Mm-hmm. You know, when you talk to them, call them back a week later, or a month later, whenever, and check in with them, see how things are going, and if they're not going well. Keep pestering people until you can get answers. And it's a little harder as a consultant, I found, than it than it was before. Sure, sure. Um, but it's still very manageable and very. You, we, it's certainly something that's doable. Yeah, yeah. And and one thing I, I've learned at, at Task that has really worked with our customers is starting with their existing process. Uh-huh. Like, what are you currently doing? What, what do you work, you know, every day on? How do you start? What are you spending your most time on? And you know, and, and I'm not saying I'm a psychologist or any way good at talking to people because that's one of my problems. That uh, Wes knows that we we uh, we struggle with communicating sometimes. Still <laughs> uh, like me, did. Yeah. So you know, if, if there's anything I can do, I, I can listen well. And really, all they need is an opening. They just need an opening for someone to listen. Mm-hmm. And then when you do you just get everything. I mean, it's like, I'm spending two hours on this. I got one hour on that. Did you not have to do this? You don't have to at least 30 entries on that. And you're just like sitting there writing everything down. Mm-hmm. And then you collect a couple of data points. That's not one person. It's like four people. And then you're like four in a row. And like, you can right. make assumptions. That's like, okay, if they've got 40 operators, I'm going to assume all 40 are probably doing this. 
And then you start quantifying the hours associated with it. You're like, oh my God, I understand why these guys are having such a hard day at work because like of all the stuff we're asking them to do. That is not part of what they believe their core responsibilities are being production related or HSE. So uh, listening is huge. The process, understanding that I think is an easy way to get them to talk and then also to figure out where technology can fit in. So if you think about, so once you listen, once you understand where the problems are, you know, how have you seen good technology application? Like what makes a good, like, hey, we have this issue, like technology fit. We have this issue, technology fit. And also where does technology not need to play in? Where should it not touch? You know, that's a really tough. The second part's really tough. Um, <laughs> I think we always think technology is going to fix everything. But yeah, so so I, let me start with that one and we'll come back to it. But uh, to me, what it shouldn't touch is the face to face interaction from senior level CEO. Mm-hmm. This is me. If I was a CEO, if you name me tomorrow, my first visit would be to the closest field office and I would not get home until I hit every one of our field mm-hmm. office, talk to everybody, the lease operator I had spent time riding around with at least one or two at each place and not necessarily the ones they want me to, because we all know how that goes. They, oh they, you know, yes. They get you the best like, one and then they don't one. give you the one who doesn't want to talk to you. And like, he's got all the feedback about like how things are wrong. I know exactly what you're talking about, Kevin. You yeah. always ask for like, okay, I don't want to go with the person you want me to think you, you think I need to go with. Give me your, who you think I shouldn't ride with. That's right. That's the person you, you go with. They, that, they, they all play that game. And, and I hate, well, <laughs> you know, the, when the CEO comes in, they all clean up and they get everything. Right. I just want to see things as they are because it, it'll help you get where you want to go faster. And, and, it, and it gets, one, it builds trust. Two, it gives transparency. I don't want you to, I don't want to see how you think it should be. I want to see how it actually is so I can help you. The, yeah. the, the other part of the question uh, where do we think we're, what, what are we doing well or what could we do, you know, maybe even a little bit better. I think the best technology comes from a great, um, I don't know the, really the word, but meshing, maybe the great meshing of a bunch of groups. I feel like my job is a liaison. So I'm that middle person sure. uh, that's trying to bring together field engineers, um, IT uh, senior level leadership from reporting and other other reasons, trying to pull all those groups together and communicate mm-hmm. to them in a way that makes sense. And that's not always easy. The, but to me, if those groups are all bought into the same idea, no matter where, what the plan is, but the, the concept behind the plan is this is the idea we want to get to. And when we get there, we're going to reevaluate and look at what the next idea is. Then it works really well. I was so blessed my all of my years at Chesapeake. Um, that we had an IT team that what I would call, they were in truck developers. They went out there with me. Mm. They were data scientists that would ride in the truck with the lease operator. And we came up with some of the coolest things yeah. that would not only solve the problems of the day from the operation standpoint, they made my life easier from a change management perspective because guys would say, I don't want to do ops by exception because Who's going to look at my tanks? I got a bunch mm-hmm. of, I got a field where my tanks are leaking every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's going to tell me which tank is going to leak that day? Mm-hmm. So our data scientist was riding out there one day and he said, well, we'll just, let's just build an algorithm that determines what's the difference between a transfer and, and or basically a haul yeah. and a leak. And yep. we tested it. And I mean, within a week or two, we had it tested uh, and it was beautiful. It was great, great te- use of technology from one conversation that came that basically mm-hmm. applied to everybody in the field. Once we did that in that one specific area, uh, the change management piece went away. I mean, it was just, mm-hmm. oh, well, that makes sense. Okay, well, thank you. Listened. Now let's go figure out how to use this tool a little better. So that's yeah. what I would say is that meshing of those groups. But more importantly, IT understanding, and this is such a big one, and there's good good IT groups and there's people who mean to be good IT groups. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they get right in the middle. They, they It's really hard for them not to control everything. And if they can back away and be a service group, I mean, it's what we all do, are supposed to do, should be a service and support group. And I think if you can solve that issue, uh, and, and, and put everybody, let everybody understand that really at the end of the day, it's, it's what is it? Patrick Lencioni, I think says, um, the leader is humble, hum, hungry, and smart. Sure. Really. That's what we all need to be doing. Not just leaders. Uh, we all need to be out there listening, uh, 
you know, turning down our voice and, and turning up our ears, I guess, so to speak, mm-hmm. as your, your kindergarten teacher probably said, um, it's really important. And if we can do that and IT can, IT is an amazing group of people if they stay within the role, like everybody else, if everybody stays within that role and then they collaborate and come up with ideas right. and then it's a fantastic way to work. And that was, I would say of, of my 30 years, that was about 28 of my 30 years were just a fantastic mission. Mm. For that. That's awesome. Um, I think we've, we've experienced similar things where you can see that immediate impact, right? And seeing that immediate impact and that turnaround is you're, you're listening and that listen, you know, you're not just listening and doing no action. You're listening. There's quick action turnaround. That's the best way to, uh, to show that there's a relationship there, right? Because I'm listening and there's going to be action. So, um, well, when you do that, you hit those those low lying fruit that, that Spencer was really referring to a second ago. You go out there and you listen. You'll realize that half the stuff that costs them the time that doesn't allow them to get to a task or some of these mm-hmm. other technologies that are really good is because it, it, we're not listening to them. And most mm-hmm. most of them can go away in a matter of days or weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, they're very simple things. So sorry to interrupt, but I no, it just it, it's such an important thing that most of what drives them crazy are silly rules that we've instituted 10 years ago and never reevaluated. Yeah, yep, absolutely. <laughs> um, so I have a, a follow-up question to that because I think it's a good gateway, right? You're talking about internally built technology, which I think we've all, all have experience with. Where do been you there. see that? Uh, <laughs> where do you see that, Kevin? Like you're talking about that being, you know, definitely a measure of success and a good relationship builder with the field and with, with organization in general. What are the pitfalls of internally built tech and externally built tech? What What's what's the strategy of operators? Um, yeah. Have you seen a, a great strategy depicting where, where, where we should implement external and where we should build internal? Right. To me, the, the, the lines are so blurred between all of it uh, because it depends on where you are on the spectrum of what type of an operator are you? Are you mm-hmm. an operator that has no rigs and you've got production and you're acquiring a lot and you just want to optimize that production mm-hmm. and and well, then you probably there's a lot of systems out there that are going to work really well for you. But my process, whether I was working for the company or as a consultant, it changes not at all. I'm going out there just as often and I'm talking to them because even the, even if you're buying tech off the shelf, it's the same problems that happen. Right. So whether we're building it internally or whether we're buying it off the shelf or whether we're, we're you know, helping somebody co-develop it with a with a. A technology company it's the same thing you're just constantly listening and fine-tuning and hopefully you're working with a developer or a tech company that is really listening and they're putting someone out there with you or near you that is saying how can i get better how yeah. can our you know our, there's i mean we i think if we're, let's just be really honest there's a lot of tech companies that are visionary and they're moving and they're changing every day. I mean, I got the opportunity once to see you guys run through some of that. I think it was really amazing to watch. Um, but there's a lot of companies that, to be frank, are, are just living off cash flow. They were the same as they were. I mean, if you look at their, they may have put some fancy little uh, something on their GUI or screen or whatever you call it now nowadays. Um, but really, this well is... View. Cool. They used 30 years ago. Yeah. I mean, nothing's changed. And be honest so, here. Yeah. And, and so it's those kind of things that I think frustrate people because they know sure. there's other technology out there. Yeah. Yeah. So if you are one of those companies, I would encourage you to go find somebody who's out there every day. You know, you can call me. I'll give you a ton of <laughs> words and thoughts about it. But call whoever and get some feedback on it. Cause there's some basic things your, your company can do, your technology mm-hmm. can do, and they're little bitty changes, but they will change the world for that lease operator or that, or that measurement tech or that INE tech or whatever piece of software it is or tool that it is. Um, it'll change the world, make them happier and they'll make more money for your company, for that other company. So. Yeah. I think they're like, I think the operators are just looking for like some wins. Like if you look at the company I worked at previously, I think we just were losing like yearly, just yearly battles were losing. And all they were looking for was just like a small win. Mm-hmm. And that small win could turn into something great. But it, 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 you know, I think the theme I'm seeing develop here already, Kevin, is 
Um, technology is useless without listening. If you can't listen, don't do technology because it's not going to work well because you're not going to receive feedback. You're not going to improve okay. it. You're not going to realize if it works. You're not going to do anything good about it. So it starts with listening. And, you know, one of the things I, I, uh, I mentioned today on, on LinkedIn was about like the middle management layer. Executives are, are meant to have that vision, right, of how do we transform and digitalize our business. Frontline is, you know, they're meant to execute on that. They, they have, um, you know, their boots on the ground. They're out there doing the work. But it really is a part of that middle management tier to kind of listen and receive that feedback. So, you know, if they can adjust technology, they can they can figure out what's working, what's not. And that leads me to the question of, of you know, in your roles at Chesapeake, mm-hmm. were you always in a position of that mid-level? And if you weren't, and if you were at the executive level, mm-hmm. how do you make sure that there is a seamless feedback communication from yeah. how the operators and the engineers are experiencing like the way work is going, the reality, the truth of it, right. back up to your level. Yeah. Well, I would just say in my group, I mean, I was, I was a director my last 12 or 13 years. Um, and it was, I was blessed that we were, uh, it was very open conversation between, mm-hmm. you know, all, all types of different leaders. And so I, it was very encouraging to me, but to me, the most important people in the corporate office were the manager level. One that mid-level that person in there. Yeah. That mid-level, yep. uh, those guys were, some of them now today have moved on to other positions all across the country and they're doing such fantastic jobs. And so it's, it's getting the right person and then empowering them to do their job every day. And, and cur- really the most important part is to have courage. And to know that I got their back and I've got courage and I will take the, I, it may cost me a little bit, but I'm going to take that issue or that problem that's causing them day, or at least I'm going to try to get it resolved as quickly as I can, because at the end of the day, we serve the field. They don't serve us. The, the, the we feel serve the field because that's where the money is. And if we can, again, increase margin in those two areas, we're golden. Everything's going to work out just the way it should. But when we stop having courage and are afraid to go to leadership for whatever the executive leadership, for whatever reason, they want us to, they want to hear that. I've, I've never found one situation where nobody wanted to hear it. It's the problem is sure. can you get it there in an, in an effective way without <laughs> alienating people would be a, probably a good idea too. Um, you know, Kevin, I got something to bring up here. <clears throat> I think the audience needs to hear this. Uh, I wonder if time <laughs> machines have been invented because everything you're saying is what I would say as a as an older and wiser Spencer. So I love what you're saying. You just got 30 years on me. Uh, it's really good stuff. I just you're kind of taking the words out of my mouth. I mean, it's good. I love having you on here. We could probably BS about this for hours. This is great. I'm loving well, this. I, I had a leader that I was one of my least favorite, to be honest. I did. We went round and round and back and forth, and he loved it. I mean, he that's what he wanted from me. Is mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm kind of an introvert. I get my energy from being alone. I, I like, I mean, I like talking, but I am kind of an introvert. Introvert. Mm-hmm. And once he he left, he had a conversation with me because I'm just so proud of you for everything we've accomplished together. I'm like, we fought all the time. All we did was just argue with each other. And he said, but that's what I wanted out of you. I wanted you, I wanted to know that you were going to take issues when, when people basically denied you, if you had an issue in the field that needed to come up, that you were going to fight for that because you knew it was the right thing to do. And it was one of the best experiences, one of the worst work experiences, (laughs) but it it was something really good came out of it. And, And it taught me to teach other people as I was uh, leading, just to, to have that courage and keep, sometimes it was me that was the problem. They needed to come to me. And I kept saying, I know this, I've seen it before. That's not really an issue. I had the courage to come back to me multiple times and me to back down and say, oh, I'm totally missed that. I did mm-hmm. not understand what you were saying. It's on me. So um, I, it took a while for me to figure that part out. But uh, I think in the end, it worked out pretty well. Um. Kevin, I'm curious from a from a technology standpoint. Um, if you look at the the technology spectrum in oil and gas, uh, you know specifically in operations, we can take it there. We can take it uh, kind of overall. Where do you think we are in that life cycle? 
if you look at the previous, you know, five years or, or what, what, what was the cycle before now? What is the cycle that we're in right now? Mm-hmm. And what is the cycle of the next five years? What does that look like? Yeah, from your vantage yeah give us that macro level. That's a really solid question because you've yeah. seen it. You've seen literally, I, I think it's worth knowing, like, like 30 years at Chesapeake, you know, started at employee oh, yeah. number 11. And here we are 30 years later, 35 years later, like shed some light, some knowledge on the macro scale. Where are we at? To me, it's, it is very cyclical, and we've seen some of these things before. What I have never seen before is the focus on uh, production, production optimization. I think mm-hmm. the two years that we just went through, and I think for me personally as a consultant, the two years of, of you know, in the middle of the pandemic, if I wasn't planning on spending a lot of time in the field, I had to because that's where the work (laughs) I really I shifted really quickly to get out there and talk to those guys. And it it was a fantastic move and it worked out really well for everybody. But I I would say um, the the shift to I I hear some of the the older guys that I used to talk to talk about in the 60s and 70s, you know, the majors uh, when they were really in the the mid-continent and they were across the country in a bigger had bigger swaths of property, I guess. They always talked about production operations, production optimization, how they did that. And they always talked about that. In my career, I would just honestly say between early 90 and beyond, you just didn't see that focus. It was all growth to the drill bed. It was all, Mm -hmm. you know, I can complete, you know, X amount and this, I can complete this many feet in this many days. And I think for the first time I'm hearing people ask questions I've been asking for a long time, and that is, Oh, that's awesome that you just drilled 30,000 feet in 10 days and you went you know, three or four or five miles, you know, uh, horizontal. What'd you leave for your production team? You know, mm-hmm. what did you, did you leave them a well that they can produce for the next 30 years? Like it was expected, or are you going to yell at your reservoir guys and all those guys for their type curves? Dude, because amen on that. Man. The torch velocity is terrible. Yes. And those are the kind of things that I, yeah, I just. They're just leaving I, these places for like water to accumulate. And then you can't like unload it once you have no more reservoir pressure. And then you're sitting there you're like, how do I lift this thing? And they're like, yeah, but we had such high gas rate the first two years. Like, come on. That's exactly what you hear every time. It's like we get enough in the first two years that that's okay. Well, I, yeah. I think you can get enough in the first two years. And um, so let's do both. that balance. And I think we can. What's that? You can do both. You can yes. do both, right? And so I want to see analytics that tell me when I'm drilling, you know, the vertical section, if I, I get outside of a, you know, a, some kind of certain degrees that it tells me uh, you're, you're about to cost yourself mm-hmm. a, a bunch of, uh, you know, a hole in tubing somewhere down the road. Ah, where like you're going to be replacing that all the time. And I know <clears> that <throat> possibility is there. And I want to, when you're outside of some range, as far as, you know, you're drilling that lateral, I want something to go off and tell those drillers, slow down your cost. You know what this decision right here will cost you in production in the rest of the world uh, the mm-hmm. rest of the well uh is way more important than trying to beat some record uh, on a drill you know when you're drilling so i think there's a really good balance i think we were really far on the drilling and completion side in the last 20 30 years i'd like to see that balance i don't necessarily want to go all production either sure. i'd like to see a balance but more importantly i'd like to see technology that brings production drilling and completion together where they're mm-hmm. talking and as they're drilling a well, uh, maybe, maybe hold the drilling guy accountable for production somehow. I don't know how you do that, mm-hmm. but, but basically you're what I, I rem- I'll never forget one conversation uh, where we were in a particular area. And I asked the guy, if you could tell a drilling guy, anything, what would you do? And he said, one, I tell him to slow down. And two, I tell him to ask me about his wells. Uh, because I know yeah. when he drills the well, what I'm getting. And I know when the other guy drills the well, I get a lot more production. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was pretty valuable point is that they know it, but either they're not empowered to say it or it's just, and, and I asked him, I remember specifically asking the question, why don't you tell somebody? And he goes, we're production. That shit, we get what we get. We don't mm-hmm. throw it. And I, I just think that's where it is. So I would like to see where where we are we're focusing on production we're not hiring people yet there's not this big boom of hiring yet mm-hmm. so people are doing it with consultants which is i love it's a great thing for me um but people are, are trying to do it the right way but what they forget and and spencer said this the other day they've cut their staffs in half those guys are doing twice as much there's they're strained so let's mm-hmm. figure out on the production side let's figure out how to give them some help 
And then on the, the drilling completion, let's start listening to them. Go have your drilling guy go hang out with that guy and find out what, or maybe it's just the engineer, but somebody to tell them how they're producing that well. And yeah. that's what I want to see in the next five years. So this five years is production optimization. I'd like to speed that up and really start seeing this conversation between all three disciplines. Um, and, you know, I've got a, lot, a million ideas. I could talk forever on that. Part <laughs> but, but, um, yeah, I'll go a step further on it, Kevin. I think what would be also a good group to tie in there is facilities. Because mm-hmm. you get these damn facilities with like four ninety degrees in it, and you're like, "Why is the DP from my wellhead to here like, you know, so damn high?" And you're just yeah. like, "What? What is happening? Why? Why am I having you know all of these freezes in the winter?" And you're like, "Well, you've got some pretty low spots in here. Like, what are you? What are you designing?" Or, or you have seven gas meters, and you're sitting there trying to figure out why your allocations are shit, and you're just like, "Well, I mean, it's not." you know, too easy to figure out. And then you do it across hundreds of wells and it gets even worse. So, you know, you bring facilities, completions, drilling and production, the, the operators really in the engineers great point. Yeah. into a single, you know, uh, I guess method of working They're they're, they're, they're collaborative. The technologies are, are combining them. You know, yeah, we start really making this problem go from productions are really important to being like, wow, it really starts the drill bit and then it goes over to completions. And then it goes to facilities and then it goes over to operations and you know who's getting shit handed to him operations. And then you work your way back and you're like, how do I stop getting shit? And it's like, you keep going back. Like, well, I got to, you know, help all these other groups. That's right. It's a really interesting point, Kevin, is that it is not, you know, operation success is not necessarily dependent, dependent upon how good they are. It really is dependent upon who sets them up for success. Right. Because if they aren't, you know, if you're just setting a tubing at 80 degrees, and you're trying to run a plunger and you're just like, well, why, why is this well having so many non-arrivals? And it's like, well, you know, your tubing's really down there and, and you're probably having some loading issues that you but, probably but can't you shave two days off your drilling. Right. Uh, but yeah, yeah. But you're, you're costing yourself for the rest of the well. Yes. That's no, a great point. Yeah. And I, to me, the way I've always looked, I'm very visual. And so I remember somebody saying, what are we going to have to do to unlock the reservoir? And to me, it just clicked. It was unlock the reservoir. If you think of a locking mechanism on a mm-hmm. giant safe, it's got, you have to line up the, the pathways, right? right? So that it's clear right. all the way through before that lock will unlock. And I started thinking there's really kind of 10 or 12 things. And I talked this over with some of the drilling completion folks. There's 10 or 12 things that you have to do. And each one of them, if you do it perfectly, you have a chance to drill a perfect well. Now you're not mm. going to do that, but if each discipline focuses on the two or three things in their area and they do that well. And then you communicate that across all of them. That's what, that's where I would love to see the industry go. Um, mm-hmm. But we're all arrogant. We always think our discipline is the best and it's the smartest and they get the most money for the, you know, this during this phase of the industry, right. You know, yeah. we used to be drilling in completions and um, we, we just, it's hard for them to work together and it's hard to believe that somebody else might, have something else to offer, but I wish we'd get there, to be honest. That's that's what I'd like to see in the next few years is just break down some of those barriers and start talking again. Yeah, definitely. That's great. Yeah, that, that is ideal state, that's for sure. Yeah, um, line, it it <laughs> line it up. Line it up. Line it up. Unlock that. Unlock the unlock reservoir. That. Yeah, unlock that I love reservoir. it, Kevin. <laughs> I've got an image, a visual Im- image in my head yeah. that I Put, uh, I'm thinking about actually Nicholas Cage in like some like <laughs> history movie who's like having to line up like the pieces of, of past history. Anyways, exactly. you haven't seen, uh, seen those movies that won't land. But um. Um, so, so one question, Kevin, what, um, you know, you, you've uh, engaged a lot of companies, right? You're doing consulting for a lot of companies, you know, uh-huh. uh, this year, last year, years before. Uh, what has been a common theme uh, that um, they are asking you to do in your consulting work? And what, you know, what are you hearing from the C-suite uh, on what they want? Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they want new systems in with the very little um, heartburn is what they want. Um, and, and they don't want to have to make a whole lot of organizational changes to do it because they're all pretty lean. And so they don't, I would just say that what I see a lot, especially the smaller companies that are trying to grow through acquisitions, they've acquired all these different people and companies and whatever. And there's this friction between all the different people and they just don't want to deal with it. They've got the next deal they've got to go make, or they got the whatever. 
And I, th- what I see a lot of is comp- senior level folks that don't want to deal with that mess. And because mm-hmm. it is messy, uh, I would say have courage, jump in there, listen to your people, you know, take care of, get rid of whatever you need to do to smooth out just a few little things and, and make sure somebody's working on your process. So that that's, that's not mm-hmm. a technology thing. That's, that's more of a leadership thing, but because, I mean, there is a lot of strife going on at companies that are acquiring lots of, of companies and that's everybody I deal with it's every time. So just stepping out there and making those tough decisions, I think, is important. And then uh, I don't remember the other part of your question, <laughs> so I would answer it. Yeah, no, it's it's kind of you know what are you hearing from um, from you know you know what are you seeing as a as a common theme about you know what each company is wanting out of their mm-hmm. organization, and then you know what is the C suite uh, wanting you know from uh, technology or, or from a vision yeah, standpoint from technology. What they're wanting, I think, is is um, something, anything that will make their field operate production a little bit better, be a little more optimal, but also line things up so that their earnings releases, if they're public, are a little more simple. And basically to to shrink the distance between their financial report, excuse me, their financial reporting piece and their, um, you know, their, their field and, Mm -hmm. and identify that. And then, you know, I, I think that's that's kind of what I, I think. I think that answers that first there that other sure. question, and I can't yeah. forget the first question. Sorry. It's just the common themes um, within oh, yeah. working with organizations and the initiatives that you're doing from a consulting perspective. Yeah. What are the common themes? Yeah, here's the see? see. This is where I suck at sales, right? This is my shot to say this is what I see, and you need to hire me. Um, <laughs> I would say what, what I what I think they're wanting is ownership at every level. And uh, a lot of times they just say, I want you, you know, I want them to do it. I just want them to know that mm-hmm. they have to do it. Well, it doesn't magically happen. You've got to identify processes. And so I think a lot of it is just what they're, they're not saying the word ownership, but I think what they really want is they want lease operators to own their volumes every day and to know that they're right. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you're acquiring a bunch of companies, you may not know what your volumes are. You may not know what they're supposed to be. And so they want them to review everything and get them right. They want, if you have a production assistant for them to do those reviews, they want the engineer to do his role. They want it to, to take care of making sure that all that stuff communicates electronically or uh, digitally uh, properly. And I think, I I think that's to me kind of where that, how that works and where it goes. Um, And I think a lot of that, unfortunately, is not happening because they don't have, maybe they have enough staff. They don't have the right staff in the right places. And so So, um, I I guess you you, you said it a few times, right? You said, you know, you said process a lot, right? So where, where does, from your vantage point, where does process and technology mesh or, you know, where does process take over? Does, does technology need to be good to enhance process? Does process need to be better to enhance technology? What's the relationship there? What's the push? Yeah, are you throwing me, this is like a softball, right? <laughs> this is like every good technology company knows the answer to this question. We're tossing it to Babe Ruth over here. He's got yeah, yeah. his head on, you know. <laughs> right. you know. It's, it's PCP, right? It's Let's see what you can technology. do. People is what we all hear, but without, I mean, technology without process is in my mind it's worthless because mm-hmm. it's, it's too expensive to not put it in there and i think what happens and i think a lot of the c-suite wants to to take care of the process issue just by putting new technology in and mm-hmm. if you do it right maybe that works because you you hire a great you know consultant to come in and help you out or maybe the software company helps you out and you, they go through and they map out your processes and use lay that technology on top of that but you've got to understand that process. And, and that's at every level. It's, I mean, and that doesn't mean big old process maps. In some companies, it's as simple as just jotting down, hey, what is your role and responsibility? And every day you come in and you run report one, then you run report two, mm-hmm. then you run report three. And then that maybe one of those reports gets sent up to, you know, an engineer or whatever. And then they have their role, one, two, three. It's as simple as that. Um but it's making sure that everybody's communicating and that there's no gaps um, to me. And th- if you do that and you lay the technology onto un- what you've already understood on the process piece, 
then people are going to be very happy with that technology. You, mm -hmm. Most cases, no matter how good or bad the technology is, sometimes it, they're going to be reasonably happy because you've mapped out that process. If you didn't, you can put the best technology on a horrible process and they're all going to blame the technology sure. and they're never going to talk to you ever again mm -hmm. because they think it's your fault because of technology when really they didn't do the hard work up front. Yeah. You know, you said ownership. I don't believe people can have ownership without visibility and that's what people are lacking. So like, mm -hmm. if you think about the route operators and like you want to own your route, what, what should you be making? How do you know what you're supposed to be making when there are reservoir engineer targets are, you know, two years outdated or a year outdated and not based on operational changes, you know, for an engineer, how are you supposed to own your area? If you don't know, like, well, what are the reasons my area is struggling and what do I need to be improving? So I think ownership, the theme there you mentioned around, what the C-suite is saying they want, I don't think they can get it unless they have some sort of visibility at every level. Not not that they need to see every level detail-wise, but at each level, the frontline operators will see his, you know, what do I need to look at? Engineer, what do I need to be looking at? Ownership, you can't own something you can't see. So I think, you know, to, to feed into what the, the C-suite's looking for, I think you got to start with visibility. How do you get the right information to know what you need to adjust and improve? Yeah, no, I agree. I, I don't disagree at all. And I, you know, what's funny to me is I, I get more requests. We had a tool uh, that we worked with for many years at Chesapeake. And uh, we, this tool basically, from an operation standpoint, it was, it was just a production tool, but mm -hmm. it, you could drill down at any level. It was all right in front of you is all graphical, whatever. And 20 years later, no one has anything like that still. They, I mean, a lot of people advertise they have something like that, but nothing, sure. nothing like that's coming. And all, all it was was visibility. And sure. everything that I, we've ever come up with that's been successful has been visible at every level and very mm -hmm. simple, easy to use. And uh, that technology didn't change over 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, and it was the same tool when I left. Uh, still had a ton of users. So I think you're right. If people just want to see something simple, easy, um, and that's where, that's probably where tech can, you know, the, the IT team can really jump in, um, and, and help out is give get better visibility in a very simple way that doesn't cause a lot of grief within the organization. Yep. Yeah. Um, I got a question I want to ask you because you've seen it all and, you know, you're still tied into the industry and, um, working with a lot of companies what tech are you most excited for? Uh, what what makes you really like, oh, that's that's some cool stuff. What are you yeah. seeing out there that's really interesting to you? I, I mean, this is going to sound like I was paid, but what you guys do. <laughs> oh, come on, Kevin. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. So, so before I found that, before I, I recognized what you guys were doing from machine learning and, and really AI to me, um, I, to me, they're all the same term. I, I know sure. they're different, but sure. I, I have a guy that I just absolutely love. He, he's my mentor when it comes to all of these things. And he's out of uh, uh, San Francisco and I meet with him. I've met with him multiple times and I brought him out one time to our leases and he was fascinated by oil and gas. And he said, Kevin, I have one question. We, we had gone out for dinner that night and we we're having a glass of wine and a steak or something. And he said, who is your customer in this industry? And I stopped and I said, I have no idea. That is no one's ever asked me that question before. And I started thinking about it. And I went round and round and round. And finally, about an hour later, I came back to him. I said, I got it. It's the well. And he starts asking me questions because he's a professor at this. Mm -hmm. They used to be University of San Francisco and now uh, somewhere else. And <clears throat> he started asking me all the questions. He goes, you're right. The well is your customer. Hmm. And everything, everybody serves the well and tries to get that well to be more productive and, and to generate more revenue for the company, just like you would with a regular customer. And I thought that was fascinating. And when we brought him out um, to the well site, the very first thing he said, and you mentioned pad facilities and stuff like mm -hmm. that, but we took him out and he's looking around. And again, he knows nothing about our industry. He's just fascinated by in industrial companies, but not necessarily our industry. And he looked around and he goes, well, why is this giant drilling pad about 20 times bigger than the production equipment he uses? And I said, great question. And he starts, he pulls out his little notepad and he starts writing all this down. He comes back the next day and said, 
let's optimize your your uh, your drilling operations and mm-hmm. let's do you know how, let's figure out how to make that pad work for what you need. Well, I'm sure other companies have done that, but that to me is what I love about this companies that don't just market. There's a lot of companies out there that just market AI. They use all yeah. the initials and everything mm-hmm. but there's only <laughs> just, two that yeah. any acronym uh, put together what he talks about what he preaches he wrote a book and it's the best book on data science out there and he, in his book what's it called what man it don't leave us hanging damn what's that What's, what's, what's that? it called? Don't leave us hanging. The best oh, yeah. book on data science. It's the longest, dumbest title. I mean, I'm sorry, Bill, if you watch this. But, uh, <laughs> it's the longest title, and I can't ever remember. Oh, it. come it's on. Data science and whatever. Oh. It just doesn't roll off your tongue. But, uh, <laughs> but it, what it talks about, it talks about the models and how you do it. Sure. And it's what you guys are doing. And and mm. any company that's, that's do, taking stuff that's so um, – it's not it, – it's not difficult to conceive, right, of what you're doing, but you're, you're taking practical steps and you put workflow around it. That's that's the answer. I mean, that's to me where we need to be. And a lot of companies advertise it, but no, not very many companies are doing it. And I, I don't understand that other than, <laughs> you know, it's that old, the bigger company cash flow, you know, just just harvesting that cash flow is the only thing I can think of. So just everyone knows, Kevin did just request me for a thousand dollars on Venmo. Um, for that so uh, I don't know if I should pay, but it did come in. I don't know if that was under the table deal, but here you heard sure, it here you're first. Strongly, strongly overestimating my cash balance that I can see. <laughs> I think um, I think one key aspect of that that I continue to see is um, you know workflow is hard and in uh, oil and gas and mm. operations, right? Because it touches so many different things, right? You have the, like you just said, right? Every you have the world design, you've got skated, how the facilities constructed, PNIDs. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, it's a complicated thing to inject workflow in an organization. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been somewhat of the problem from, from our standpoint uh, with technology is that that pairing of, you know, if you're gonna do the, the uh, as you said, I'm gonna use that word now, uh, Kevin, the acronyms. If you're going to uh-huh. do the acronyms, <laughs> um, then then you've got to be able to to pair that with what's what is the output? What is the output? Mean? Well, what, what, what am I doing with this? Right. right yeah. So those two things, if they're completely separated, you know, those two things need to really be tied together. So um, yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that too. It's yeah. it's it, there's we hear science, and when you hear data science, but really the workflow part of it, it's just it's it's just pushing through and, and it's not sexy but it's, it's not weird, right it empowers all that other stuff you're doing the science mm-hmm. part of it it empowers it in a way that if you don't have the two together it just won't it won't work mm-hmm. it won't work the same way all right everyone well you heard it here first from uh kevin decker uh some of the foundations for doing technology and operations it really starts with listening uh listening to your front line listening to your middle management and um really just making sure that uh, you are in tune to what you are pushing out to the field and how it is being received and used in the field. So appreciate Kevin Decker hopping on the podcast here.